Coming up, an hour with Stephen A. Smith. That's next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. It was courtroom month. We did a time to kill. It was me and Wesley Morris. So go check that out if you missed it. Coming up on this podcast, Stephen A. Smith. He has a podcast for himself. It is called the Stephen A. Smith Podcast. Good title. He also is on ESPN. He has a book that he wrote uh, a few months ago. It's called Straight Shooter, if you missed it. And we're going to talk about ESPN and First Take and basketball and Dame Lillard and the Knicks and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. We are taping this late Tuesday morning in Los Angeles. Stephen A. Smith is here. He's been on vacation. What's what's a vacation like for you? You're, uh, you're on air all the time talking <laughs> and all these different shows and platforms, and then it just shuts down as it, real NBA stuff's happening. So what are you doing? It, it depends on what mood I'm in. Um, usually every year I go to an undisclosed tropical location. Uh, my family's from the Virgin Islands. And so because of that, say from St. Thomas, um, St. Thomas, St. Coin, Antigua. And so because of that, I'm always in the islands at least once a year. Um, recently, I've been going to Europe once a year as well. Um, so it just and, and the one beautiful the one beautiful thing for me, Bill, about being successful to some degree is that, you know, how you got to plan, plan, plan vacations. I yeah. don't plan vacations. Um, I literally, it's like, okay, this is the mood that I'm in. And right now, like five days before you, this way, well, and that's how I, you're basically just saying you're single. This is what's really, well, what's I'm, really I'm, happening I mean, with that. I, I mean, that's I am, a, but I, I, <laughs> I, I am, but that's, that's not really it for me. It's like, I have, there are places that I can go. It's just that you never know what you're going to be in the mood for. And to me, it's a waste of vacation. If you're not in the mood for something and then you spend, you spend your money on vacation and you're not in the mood for that. That's not that's not me. All right, so you're at this nice hotel. NBA <laughs> shit breaks down. Are you <laughs> you just got to be conditioned to talk to somebody? Like, all right, the bartender, let's go. Dave Miller, 10 minutes. So, How do you shut I, it off? Um, you know what I don't. I mean, I I I live what I do to some degree. I mean, you know, I grew up loving sports. I grew yeah. up loving the games, loving the athletes, loving the coaches, just loving so many so many of the components that come with the game. And, and to me, my attitude is this. I didn't have the skills that the people that are participants in the sport had, because obviously if I did, then I would be there. So the least that I could do is work my ass off so I can make sure everybody knows, you know, that I earn whatever I get, that nothing is given to me and I put in that work. And, you know, that and I, it's helped me immensely because what happens is, is that along the way, it's not just the athletes and the people in the, in, in, in the sports fraternity who appreciate it. But the pundits, the reporters, and everybody who covers it, you know, there's no jealousy. There's no envy. I look at everybody, and I'm like, this man, I'm happy for him. Because when they put in that work, 
you know what, first of all, they deserve it, they've earned it. And secondly, they're setting an example to follow. You know, somebody like yourself, I look at that, to be honest with you, I didn't see you on the come out. I was in the industry. All of a sudden, here comes Bill Simmons on the scene. He's producing Doctor Series and, you know, Great Eldridge 30 for 30. And, you know, you got Grantland at the time and all of this other stuff. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And so you're looking and you're watching and you're saying, wait a minute, he's ahead of the curve. He's seeing stuff before it happens and really, really showing, showing us the way. That's not something to be resentful for. That's something to be grateful for. How much is too much for you? Because there were stretches for you, especially during the uh, basketball playoffs. You're on first take every day. Yeah. They're throwing you on Sports Center. Yeah. You're doing your podcast, The Stephen yeah. Smith Show, which the people watching this can see behind you. Um, yeah. And then you're also on Countdown. And do you ever worry about like a tipping point with you? It, like, no, no, no. The tipping point arrived this year for the first time, yeah. believe it or not. Um, and it wasn't because of the work. Oh, excuse me, I was working out, so I was sweating. I'm yeah, I got sweating. you. Now you got that sweat. But um, it, the tipping point for the first time arrived this year. Um, I'm not one of those guys, Bill, where, you know, it's sports and it's countdown. It's first take. That doesn't phase me at all. I can do those things and it's not a problem. It's the time in between. First takes at 10 a.m. I'm waking up at 7 a.m. to prepare for first take at 10 a.m. You see what I'm saying? You get off of that and then you're doing countdown at night. And you know this just as well as I do because you used to do countdown. So you're doing countdown and I love the show. You're doing the show from 7 to 7.30, but then you're sticking around from 7.30 damn near till midnight to come on at halftime of each game. And so you're sitting around for like four or five hours to do three minutes of television after you were on television all morning and some of the afternoon. That was too much. That for the first time in my career, it was like I went to the bosses and I was like, yo, I, I can't, you know, I can't do this again. Not this. You know, I could, you know, first take, sports center. Well, I mean, that's a given. But to to spend so many hours in the afternoon after you spent so many hours in the morning on a job, that was definitely a tipping point for me. And then to be honest with you, you know, my daughters jumped all up in me and they were like, wait a minute now, you know, where you at? <laughs> we usually right. we usually going out to dinner. You know, where, where you been? What, what about our movie date? Stuff like that. And so all of a sudden you start looking at that. He's like, wait a minute now. Okay, now I got to reel it in a little bit and, and, and make sure I carve out some time for me. And that's what I'm going to do this upcoming season. I hit that point the two years I was doing Countdown. I was doing right. too much and it was too much of the day every day. Yeah. And I felt I started to feel like I wasn't doing anything at the level right. I wanted to. But countdown's right. weird because if you're watching it from afar, mm -hmm. it's not that much time, right? You're on like it's either a half right. hour or an hour before with commercials and then mm -hmm. halftime, that's not that long. And then after the game. Yep. But the pro the problem for me, and this was not a it's probably not a problem for you, right. definitely wasn't a problem for magic. Cause I was like in awe of magic watching him that one season right. where you could just turn the switch on and have the energy again. Yeah, I would have the energy for the pregame show, and then I'd be like, I'd be like a fighter. I'd be wiped, and then yeah. it'd be an hour would pass, and then be like, no, we got to go back on, and then you're back on TV, and you got to be on again. Then it fades off again, mm -hmm. an hour passes, and then you got to be on again after. Yeah, and I'm just not naturally wired like that. Like I gotta, you know. Whereas Magic, that's what he does all day. Like the guy doesn't right. sleep. He's it around was, people. It was slightly different for me than that. If we had the time at ESPN to have a post-game show like TNT does, right. I would have been hyped and wired for that. What happens is that once you do count down, you recognize the fact that over the next three, I'm sorry, four to four and a half or five hours, you're going to be lucky if you get eight minutes of airtime. Oh, that used to drive me and, crazy. And, and so, and so that is again, you know, it's 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 nobody's fault. I mean, you got the TV contract, you got to play the games, and you know, this is what this is what you have. This is the television real estate that you have available to you. It's nobody's fault. I'm just simply saying that when you are a guy that comes on TV as much as I do, I'm a person that when the lights come on, I'm ready. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what happens to me. Um, I've never experienced anything like it in my life, but when those lights come on, it doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter yeah. how sick I am. It doesn't matter what the situation is. I'm ready to perform. And so for me, you know, when you have to step back and you're so limited and you got to remember, I'm kind of spoiled because 
first take is two hours. And it's basically my show. And so I, I, you know, I get to talk a lot on first take. To but go it's continuous that, though. Yes. And to go from that to uh, just like the limitations in, in, in the post game, you know, I'm sorry, at halftime and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was a challenge for me, but it was mainly because of the obligations that I had throughout the day, which I thoroughly enjoyed more so than anything else. I hated the halftimes when I did it. It just wasn't enough time, and it just ends up everyone goes. Everyone says a point. It goes to the next person. Nobody's right. having a conversation. Yeah. And the post game, like to me, that's the whole reason to have the show. Is mm-hmm. this game just happened? What'd you think? Yeah. And a lot of times with ESPN, they'll just throw it right to Sports Center or they'll do whatever. Right. And it's like that. You just flew us here to this location. Right. Like let us talk about what just happened. They would let us do it sometimes, and I like that part. But sometimes, I mean, sometimes, you know, you recognize that you're not wrong. It's just that you understand where you're working and you understand totally. that different, everybody has different, you know, they, they've got different contractual obligations and those things have to be honored and it pays the bill. So you understand it from a business standpoint, but from the standpoint of a performer, you're ready yeah. to go. You're ready yeah. to go and, and you want that airtime. And I, th- I only say all of this to say that my attitude about it would have been totally different if there was a post-game show like the like the television real estate that TNT has with their post-game, if that happened, man, I you know, it, it I would have had a totally different energy about it. I don't I still think that it would have been a lot to take because of my obligations to first take in the morning. Um, yeah. but nevertheless, I still would have ha- I would have been incentivized to be even more pumped up instead of dying down because the evening is coming to an end, you know? So how much how much sleep are you getting at this point? Because that doing that morning show is crazy coming off the counter. I'm actually getting more sleep now than I used to. Um, I've I've been plagued with sleep apnea for years, and oh, so shit. I, I didn't finally, even know that. Oh yeah, man. I went I went like um, I would tell you from time I'm 55 years old, and I would tell you from the time I was 20, I didn't get my sleep apnea treated until like five years ago, Damn. and so. All of those years, I would wake up dragging, but I would just push myself through, push myself through, and, and that's why it's so important when we talk to when we talk to youngsters on the come up, both you, myself, and others, and we talk to them, we, we highlight the difference between a job and a career. A job is doing what you want to do, pays the uh, doing what you have to do rather, pays the bill, helps sustain or elevate your 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 quality of life. But a career is doing what you want to do, and it just so happens to do those things. And I have a career. And because I have a career and I love what I do and I'm enthusiastic about what I did, I do every day, I would wake up and even though it was a struggle to get out of bed, once I'm up, I'm up. But I I plow through and then I would literally just collapse at night, get about three hours, four hours sleep for years, decades. And that was that. And then ultimately you felt like it was wearing on you. And then what happened is I got I got my sleep apnea address, got that CPAP machine, um, you know, to you know take some you know some some supplements to help me sleep a bit better. And the combination of the two, I wake up in the morning, I got my energy, I make sure I get a strong at least five to six hours sleep, and I'm ready. Damn, to I had no idea. I mean, that's I know some people that have the sleep apnea, and it's like really really debilitating. Yeah, it is. It can be. Mine wasn't as bad as some of the some of the worst cases, but yeah. it was bad enough. And it's scary once they teach you about it because now you know, you know the tongue collapses and it blocks the breathing passage, and you're not getting enough oxygen to the brain. You hear all of this stuff, and you're like, "What the hell's been going on?" That's what I've been going through. And you know, when you put it, when they put it in that kind of perspective, you recognize that change has to be made because what good is it being successful? And, and and achieving all of these things and you can't enjoy it because your health sucks. That makes right. no sense. One of the things I've noticed with you, like you were at ESPN, then you you, you didn't totally leave, but it, did you actually totally leave at one point? I guess you did for like a year. Yeah, I was going from 2009. They let me go over the contract dispute. I was going from 2009 to 2011. Yeah, it didn't feel like you were gone that long. Then you oh, came it back. Felt, it felt for you me felt like I was What <laughs> Those two years, what did you do? Like, what were you? Well, first of all, I was was unemployed the first year, completely unemployed. Nobody would hire me. Nobody would get that. Not even TV one or BET. No one wanted me. And I mean, no one. And I had to, you know, as I wrote my book, Straight Shooter, which I'm blessed that became a bestseller, I just highlighted what a rough, rough road it was. And, you know, I was real 
I was bitter initially because I was like, how the hell I go? I mean, I'm doing countdown, I'm yeah. doing sports center, I'm doing radio, I'm doing how the hell I go from four different jobs to zero. And I really felt railroaded and blackballed. And then my mother called me on the carpet and she was like, when you don't look at yourself, what you do, what kind of person were you? How did you treat people? How did you act with people? You know, I know you're outspoken and you speak your mind and stuff like that. She said, but you know, what boss wants somebody like that? You know, uh, that that's a headache. She said, what happened to you being solution oriented? And she really, she really checked me, checked me big time. And then about a month later or so, George Bodenheim, the former president, called me into his office and uh, wanted to see how I was doing and explained to me that, you know, you had your feelings. Other people's had theirs. He said, I didn't want you going, but true, true leaders defer to the subordinates that they have in place, essentially. And he said, but I want you to know that this, this, this book is not closed. And there's an opportunity that you'll be back someday. So just keep your head up and be on your grind. And that was really a lifesaver for me because when you're working at ESPN and you didn't pull a Bill Simmons where you are, you accomplished multiple streams of revenue and you're innovative and creative enough to make sure that you're not dependent on one employer. At that stage and point in my life, I was dependent on one employer and I was completely blindsided. I didn't see it really coming that I would lose everything. And so having that fear um, going through what I went through um, is something that I hold on to all the time, because no matter how much success that I've achieved now and what I position myself to achieve in the future, there is not one single day that goes by that I don't remember when I was unemployed and people was writing my epitaph and saying I was finished. I will never forget that feeling. And, and that's part of the reason why I work. I work like I'm broke. Because I never assume I rock. Yeah, you know, and I'm watching it from afar and I, I identify with so much of it because, yeah. you know, it took me forever to get to ESPN and just to right. even have some success. And then at the end of that first decade in the 2000s, when I had a chance to start doing more stuff and right. started to get momentum and you just want to grab everything because you're like, right. I don't know if this is ever going to happen again. Sure, I'll yeah. try that. I'll try that. I'll try that. And you yeah. become conditioned. And that was where I, I felt like I hit a tipping point that 2013, 14 range where I just, I was doing too many things mm -hmm. and, you know, but that, what you just said about when you remember that feeling, I felt that after my HBO show got canceled right. and there were people like, he's, it's over. And I'm like, it's over. I remember I'm, that. I'm, in my I, mid, I'm in my mid forties. I don't, man, I don't feel like man, this is over. I remember that so much, man, because when, when you lost the HBO show, people were coming up to me and, you know, and yeah, he's gone. You saw what happened to him. Good for him. And I'm like, who the hell are you talking to? I'm like, what, what am I supposed to be happy about that? I said, what Bill do to y'all? I said, he, he, he comes out there, he works his ass off, he, he does everything that he can to be successful. I mean, the, tip your cap to him. If he's more creative, he's more creative. He's more innovative, he's more innovative. He's better, he's better. You know, me personally, I think in front of the camera, I think that I can beat anybody. I think that, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I see myself as second fiddle to not a single soul on this planet in front of the camera. But there's so much more that comes to the business that we're in that extends far beyond that. And in that regard, people like yourself, Jim Rome before you, uh, Joe Rogan since, and so many others, there is nothing but admiration and respect for all of y'all. And by the way, to some degree, we can all be considered competition. So what? Bill Simmons, get yours. All of y'all get yours. I'm going to try to get mine. I'm not rooting against anybody. I'm just rooting for myself. But it's amazing, and you know this better than most. There's a lot of people that rooted against you. They still root against you. There's a lot of people that root against me. They wish we were enemies. They wish that so, some of the folks supposedly at the top of the heat were enemies. Well, right. guess what? When you really at the top, you know that that's wasted energy. You should be rooting for other people to succeed. You just should be rooting for yourself to succeed too. I mean, that's a great way to put it. I, my yeah. whole thing is I only worry about what I'm doing and the people yeah. that are around me and trying to help people succeed. And I don't really right. care what anyone else is doing. Yeah. There's always going to be people that are succeeding. You're always going to have competition, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean it should affect how you think. Yeah. And you got to be, and you got to be in this business. You got to be some people, let's call it what it is, Bill. Some people don't belong in this business. They can't take it simply because they can't take it. They can't take the criticism. They can't take the heat. So they want to be in front of a microphone. They want to have a camera in front of them. 
and they want to call people to the carpet and they want to say stuff and they want to bloviate and all of this, but they can't take it when pushback arrives with validity and substance. They can't take it. I'm like, wait a minute. I never lose a debate. I either win or I learn from somebody that debated right. better. You understand what I'm saying? I'm getting better and better every day because I know I'm not the best. You know, I'm constantly striving to get there. And so for me, you know, when 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 folks, when you got some folks in, in this business and I just look at them sometimes, they can't take a shred of criticism. And I'm looking at them, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You can't take it. You're not built for this. You're not made for this. You need to go find something else to do. And they don't want to do it strictly because of the money. And when that's the case, I'm like, that's why you ain't winning because you're in it just for the money. I want to get paid, but I'm in it to be great. I'm in <laughs> it because I love doing it. And right. I want to get paid in the process. That's not why I'm in it. Speaking of getting paid, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a word winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others. Real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, so first take, you had an evolution with this show. Yeah. And watching, you know, different guests. You've had some some really compelling arguments. Yeah. It's gone to some dark places a couple of times. Yeah. The, uh, the way ESPN kind of pumps the stuff out on social. Yeah. Um, it seems like you almost get rewarded. Sometimes not you, but other people on the show. Kind of the crazier the take is. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's the one that that um, that hits the hardest. The okay. the stuff with Perkins and JJ and uh, yeah. the Jokic and Bead debate, which yeah. um, I I thought was one of my least favorite NBA subplots probably the last twenty years, and certainly mm -hmm. one of the worst media subplots. As you look back at that whole stretch, do you wish things had unfolded differently? Do you feel like that's just the outcome of the show, where there's going to be tough conversations like that? Because but are you asking I, me about JJ and Perk or overall is what I'm asking? I, what are you asking? Just me the narrative. All right, you're right. I phrased that sure. wrong. The narrative coming out, Perk, his job is to try to provoke mm -hmm. on a show like that, right? Mm -hmm. And and he's trying to provoke conversation about, mm -hmm. all right, why is Jokic going to win a third straight MVP? Why isn't mm -hmm. Embiid and starts listing MVPs back to 1990? Mm -hmm. Why are 80% of the voters white and stuff like that? And all of a sudden the, the debate turned. And as that's happening, mm -hmm. 
how are you? Because it's your show. You're in control right. of it. And then you're watching JJ, who's really mad about it. And he's bringing right. his stuff and they're right. starting to really go at it. But this is your show. Like it's your house. People, are, yeah. these are your guests that have been invited over. Right. What's your role in that? And do you feel like that can go too far? That's a great question. Um, first of all, it can't go too far. Um, secondly, in that particular show, it did go too far. Um, I thought both of them were wrong to a degree in terms of how far it went. Because on one hand, I thought, see, you got to remember, Perkins had said what he said days earlier. Yep. JJ wasn't on the show. And so what happens is me being now the executive producer of the show, not just the main talent on the show, I saw that days earlier. I understood where Perk was coming from. But if you recall, I had I was debating against him when he had initially said it and I disagreed with him. I said that yeah. has nothing to do with it. That's not true. But I didn't know the amount of white voters compared to black voters or whatever. I just said that has nothing to do with it. Jokic and Ball, this is what he brings to the table. I've never heard anybody saying that he's stat chasing or anything like that. Never. I cover the league. It's never, I've never heard that, Perk, right? But I also have to take this into consideration. If Bill Simmons were to come on first take, no one comes on first take without, without coming through me. I'm the person that everybody comes to. Now, Pete McConville and Tom DeCordia now there. James Dunn is a producer as well. They do an exceptional job. Dave Roberts oversees it. Obviously, I answered to him. We all answered to him. Uh, but they all defer to me. And so for yeah, me... it's your house. You're invited yeah, people yeah, to the yeah. table. So, so everybody I brought on the show, this is what I demand from them. Be your true, authentic self. Don't come on here with no phony shit. Don't have me, don't have me or our audience looking at you and thinking you're faking something or you're saying something for just effect. You need to feel it. Here's where it gets tricky, Bill. What happens is sometimes in the heat of a debate, you're saying something. And then you catch us and you're like, oh shit, what did I just say? <laughs> I really didn't mean to go there. Right. Yeah. And so I stopped it by saying, Perk, there's no truth to that. This is not what's said about Jokic. He's not ch stat chasing. People ain't looking at him, et cetera. Yeah, sure, you got you got you got voters that have their preferences, white, black, and otherwise, and it may not have anything to do with race. It might have something to do with something else. But everybody's got their preferences to some degree. We understand that. But I think you're walking down the wrong road here. And I left it at that. What I didn't know was the fury that at least it appeared to be fury to me, that J.J. Reddick was feeling over the subject. And so when he came on, on one, uh, on one hand, I understood how or why he felt the way he felt, rather, because of what Perkins said. On the other hand, I was saying to J.J., this is your colleague, you know, on the show. And if you feel that way, did, did you have to come at him like that? You know, because it did get, uncomfortable. Now, we argued about a point because Skip Bayless and I used to argue or Max and I used to argue or anybody that you see on the show would argue. We're arguing over the subject matter that we're talking about and that's that. What's up, man? See you later. Good job. You know, you'll see me the minute we go to commercial break. Way to go, bro. No problem, no matter how heated it got because it was on the subject. JJ and Kendrick made it appear like it was about them. And that's that's when I knew it was bad and I stepped in. I said, all right, guys, all right, cool out. One point after another, make your point. Let's move on. But it wasn't comfortable. You're right about that. And it hasn't have, happened again because, I, you know, we spoke to both of them about this. Have they been, they've been on the show together since, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Yeah, since. I think, you know, the, the most uncomfortable I've seen, and this was a long time ago when Jalen mm -hmm. went at Skip Bayless that time yes. about how many points yes. when, and Jalen, like he, he had real reasons to do it, right? Yes. And he felt really strongly about it and he was tired of certain things and he just did it and it was super uncomfortable. There and at the time, time I told Skip, at the time I told Skip, because I wasn't on the show at that time. I came on like months later. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't on the show at that time. But, well, you know, obviously Skip and Jayla's relationship hadn't been the same since. No. And I was like, yo, Skip, you came at him. <laughs> he came back. I mean, fair is fair. Now, right. he might not have needed to go that far, and I get it. Uh, but but the reality, but we also got to know our place. Like for example, Skip has been a journalist for decades before becoming a columnist, and you know, working in Chicago and L.A. and Dallas and all of these other places. Right? That's your lane. 
You know, I can, you know, Bill Simmons knows basketball. I know basketball. We ain't Jalen Rose. You know, we're not a member of the Fab Five with a 13-year career in the NBA. And so, you know, when you're talking about the game and you're trying to compare on-court significance, well, I know that I wasn't on the level of Jalen Rose. (laughs) And and Skip at the time should have known that too. And the argument should have been about what you know about this business as opposed to players themselves as if you were one when that was not the case. That's all. And I think that a lot of times when we're arguing with athletes, one of the reasons you see a lot of athletes on the on the air, you notice they're laughing a lot and they're smiling a lot when they're talking to me because they know, Bill, I know I'm not them. I'm not trying to come at them as if I know what they know about every little nuance because that's impossible. But I can say as a pundit, as a person who's been a journalist, this is the perspective that I'm coming from. Imagine me walking into the locker room and confronting you as a scribe, as a pundit. How would you react if I came at you with these questions or these perspectives? And so they recognize that and it just it it makes it makes for better conversation because they don't feel challenged as if you're diminishing them and what right. they've accomplished. And I think that's incredibly important to do. Well, I remember, I don't, I think you were on the show when Richard Sherman came on that time and went at yes. Skip and it was I kind was. of promoted. That got me suspended from Twitter because I saw it and I was like, I, I feel like this is not elevating the company. This is angry. I don't like it. So I, I did like two tweets about it and they were like, you can't tweet about another ESPN show you moron. And they suspended well, me from Twitter. And I was like, you're right. I actually shouldn't have said anything. I would tell you this. Here's where I think that that thinking that you just expressed about Richard Sherman doing that on the show is wrong. Yeah. If an athlete listens to me or you, and we constantly call them on the call, they have a right to get fed up one day and come on the air and call us out. Yeah. So it was, it, of course it wasn't a good look. Of course it wasn't a good thing. But my argument to, to, to John Skipper at the time, who was the boss, and Norby Williamson and others of the world, my argument to them was that, but it's still necessary. Because mm. even though that wasn't a good look, what was good is that we made sure to not edit out what an athlete had to say about us since we talked about them. Because a lot of times with athletes, what will piss them off more than anything is the, what we call the bully pulpit. We have it, and a lot of times they did it, or they don't. And because of that, it's like, wait a minute, it's not right. If you're going to do it, then take it. I had an athlete come up to me last year and pat me on the back. It was like this. I just want, I'm saying, he said, I want to see if you got that same smoke in front of my face that you have on television. And I looked at him and I said, I'm standing here, ain't I? Who the hell you think you're talking to? I meant what the hell I said on TV. You need me to say it again? You see what I'm yeah. saying? Now, I wasn't trying to disrespect him. But what I was trying to say is, ain't no act. I said it, I meant it. I stand on it. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Show me why I'm wrong. But don't think that you're going to intimidate me just because you're coming up in my face. I'm not scared of that. I said what I said and I meant what I meant. And I think that's important to be able to do. And I think it's important to be able to allow an athlete to do the same to you. Well, you also had the experience of you actually covered basketball teams and went in the locker room and yes. dealt with people that you wrote about. So you're yes. used to confronting. And for me, it's like, look, sometimes I always think when, you know, especially as I get older, if I'm critical of somebody, mm-hmm. I try to be critical to what it's about performance and right. what I see. Yeah. And the stuff that I don't like is like the stuff Kyrie Irving has done, the stuff that you know, James Harden, who's just like, I don't yeah. like it anymore. I'm just going to tank my situation until I could force a trade. I'm right. always going to call that stuff out. Right. I think it gets a little dicier when you're just, you know, criticizing somebody because they sucked in a playoff series. Like the Ben Simmons thing was really interesting to talk mm-hmm. about because we didn't know what was going on with that dude. Right. You know, is it is is this all, is he making this shit up because he just doesn't want to play with Philly? Is he really going through something? And and I think it became hard for all of us to talk about because fundamentally, if somebody's just like, I know I'm getting paid, but I don't want to play here anymore. You got to trade me. I'm not even going to show up. I just fundamentally don't agree with that. And- well, for me, it was never hard for me to discuss. Um, 
I spoke to Ben Simmons. We talked face to face. He approached me and he was talking about, man, you, you, you're killing me. I said, stop. What did I say? Since you want to say I'm killing you, what exactly is it that I said that's killing you? He said, you said it ain't no excuse for me not to be playing. I said, you damn right. Right. I said, you know why? I said, because you don't hesitate to cash the check. I said, somehow, some way, you psyched out and you can't step on a basketball court, but not psyched out enough to make sure the money's in your bank account. I said, come on, bro. You can't do that. I said, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that you're lying, that you're making it up, but in the same breath, you do have a responsibility if you're going to snatch the bag. And if, you, now, if you're somebody that, let's just say, for example, somebody says, this, says, I can't take it, Bill. I just can't do this no more. I retire. Andrew Luck. No problem. We're not standing behind center. We're not taking blindside hits or, or non-blindside hits. We're not. We're not doing that. He is. And the punishment that he was absorbing was too much for him. He walked right. away. He said, keep your money. I can't do this. That I have to respect. But when you are saying I can't play, but you're still going, you're still checking every week to make sure your money's in that bank account. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. It's a different animal. And, well, and then fighting to get the money back for the practices that you missed. That's right. No, no, I'm going to need that $20 million back there that you I, go. I didn't perform. Which is what he did in Philly. It felt like you flipped a little on Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Like you were really hard on him. And then mm. now, I don't think you're a defender of him, but you're, I think, way more over. fair than I am. It, it's just over. It's just over, Bill. How much more is there to say? I didn't retract anything that I said, but it does get to a point where, okay, I've said enough. And because I've said enough, I mean, I, I've, I've lambasted him on numerous occasions for the situations he's found himself in, um, for him being what I deemed to be a bit snobbish at the time, like he's above the fray and so many everybody else are peons and we're so beneath yeah. him and stuff like that. It, it pissed me off that he was like that. But in the same breath, you do get to a point where you're like, okay, I made my point. Now what? Now it's like, okay, you, 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 you got your contract with Dallas. You're playing in the NBA. The bottom line is we're all happier when you're on the basketball yeah, let's court. Let's see you do one normal that. year. Do you have one uh, normal year in you, Kyrie? Can you just what? go? Yeah, how can, about that? How about, how about, how that? about one six-month stretch where you just how play basketball that? and we don't hear about anything Absolutely, else? absolutely. And, and, and the walk around, like, like one of the things that, and, and this was where he also really irritated me at the time. You know, there's so many things more important than basketball. Who doesn't know that? Who right. even implied that that is not true? What we're saying is, is that that doesn't absolve you from your responsibility that you signed up for and swore to honor and commit yourself to. And if you deviate from that, folks have a right to say, nah, we ain't trying to hear that. It's not that there aren't more th there, there aren't things more important than basketball, but that doesn't absolve you from your responsibilities. You have a life. I have a life. Well, guess what? I got first take. You have Spotify. You've got your whole network thing going on with all the great things that you've been doing. I'm doing my own podcast and I'm building every single day. I don't get to sit up there and say, well, you know what? Times are hard and, you know, um, it's just not that important. So I'm not going to show up while still expecting people out there to support me. Right. I don't get to do that. I have to actually show up and earn the support. And I'm saying that kind of thinking is applicable to anybody in their chosen profession. Nobody forced you. You signed up to do this. So do your job. And But you do get to a point again where you can only say do your job so many times. And I will say the one thing that's different in 2023 is because everybody has Instagram, Twitter, all these different places. Right. Like if they feel like they're being misrepresented right. or talked about incorrectly, they can fire back. I, sure. You know, in 1999, you didn't really have that. Right, and right. in general, um, you know, I think every, people were way more anti-player 20 years ago than now. Like I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm a little bit stunned by the Dame Lillard stuff because he took this, he signed that two year extension. Mm -hmm. Right. So now he's getting paid through age 37. He's going to make 120 million in the last two years. Yep. And like, let's say he blows out his Achilles tomorrow. Guess what? He still gets all the checks. Mm -hmm. But then they get Scoot Henderson falls in their laps. He's going to be a star. 
And Portland's like, all right, well, maybe, you know, maybe we're a little more receptive to the, the mm-hmm. trade Dame thing. And then he's like, I only want to go to Miami. Mm-hmm. And what surprised me compared to what we've grew up with, and we're around the same age with sports, mm-hmm. is just about everybody is like, yeah, they got to trade to Miami. That's, I mean, that's, he's done such a good job in Portland. He, they owe right. it to him. It's like, do they? Do they, do they owe it well, to him to send him to his handpicked team and get 35 I, cents on the dollar for what he's I, worth? Well, I think they owe it to him, but I wouldn't say for 35 cents on the dollar. Um, but I would tell you this. I look at it a little bit differently. Okay. <laughs> what James Harden has done in Houston and in Brooklyn is not good. It's indefensible. Okay. It's indefensible. Um, what situations Kyrie, what he did in Boston, what he did in Brooklyn, indefensible. Indefensible. I don't give, I don't give, I don't give a shit what anybody says. It's indefensible. Damian Lillard is a different act. Because first of all, when you have the kind of relationship that he has with the organization, it's entirely plausible, Bill, and you know this, that he could have sat there and said, yeah, this is where I can get the most money and I want to be here. Um, but if I decide that I want to move on in a couple of years or whatever, we cool with that because, you know, that that's where I'm at. That's where I may be. It's entirely plausible that they said, we'll work it out. We'll make something work for you. But right now, we want you here. And he said, okay. Remember, this is 11 complete seasons that he's been in Portland. I'm somebody that knows Dane personally. I've spoken to him on many occasions. Bill, I have personally begged this man for years to come to New York, to demand the trade to the New York Knicks. I wanted the New York Knicks uniform so bad, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was unapologetic about it. I said, man, get the hell out of the Portland market, yeah. get to the New York market, get on a big stage, day time, wave goodbye to people after you send them home for the port. I said, I want to see that in New York, come to New York. He, and religiously, man, I, I love it here in Portland, bro. He's like the KG Minnesota thing. He was like, like this generation. It's exactly that way. And, and what did KG, you know this better than me, what did KG say during this Hall of Fame speech? One of his biggest regrets was that he waited too long. To he definitely did. Minnesota. Yeah. See what I'm saying? He waited too long. Damian Lillard very well may have gotten to that point. And so to me, if you're Portland, he's been there with you for 11 years. He's a pillar of the community. The community loves him. You know he never wanted to leave. And I mean, it's like pulling teeth to get him to even think about it for years and years and years. And finally, he says, okay, I think it's time. And they losing their damn mind because he said Miami. It's like, wait a minute, work it out. Work it out. You know, you remember, you asked Dame to sit games this past season Was. because you wanted to position yourself for the, for the one beyond the sweepstakes, and you ended up getting Scoot Henderson. See, we forget the role they played in being in this position. So I don't view Damian Lillard in a bad way at all. I talked to the Rasilla about that on Sunday. I think he laid out when he had a chance to be first team all NBA, he had a chance to, you know, lead the league in scoring, all that stuff. Yeah. And they were like, you know what? Lay out. Yeah. We'll we'll try to get one more pick. We'll make the yeah. trade. And I just don't think they had any idea Scoot was going to fall into their laps. And that was the game changer for them. It's like, right. well, we're not going to trade but, Scoot. We but, we but, fucking hit the lottery with this. But, but that's but that's one that's one way to look at it. Here's how I'm looking at it. So you were hoping to get one beyond. That yeah, but you got like a one in, you know, I know that, one I know that. 12 But shot. what I'm saying is that didn't happen. But what you got is a guy who looks like a prototypical replacement to Damian Lillard. Yeah, so I'm which like, they weren't that, expecting. Exactly, which you weren't expecting, which should make it easier because it's not like you're looking for them to coexist. They play the same position. They're then they're the same size. You don't want that. CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard didn't work. I mean, they got to they got to a conference finals once. Yeah, but why is it one team up. though? That's the part that like Miami doesn't have the trade. They don't want Tyler Hero. They already have yeah. three guards. Well, what I would say to you is this, Bill. There ain't nothing wrong with identifying and asking for what we want. Now, whether you don't get it or not remains to be seen. But if he wants to go to South Beach, then you push all you can to get to South Beach. Let me tell you something. They said, I mean, they had me laughing because I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm a native New Yorker, born in the Bronx, raised in Hollis, Queens, New York. I despise the Barclays Center. Despise it. I mean, there isn't an arena in America I hate more than the Barclays Center, okay? (laughs) 
And right. here's why. Here's why. It takes you about two damn hours to get three blocks on game nights down Atlantic Avenue. And then to get in the arena with the car, you literally got, it's one way in and one way out. You got to wait, they back. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's hideous. I don't know why anybody would want to go to the Barclays Center. I really, really don't. Brooklyn's a great borough, but the Barclays Center is just a nightmare. And so for me, if you're Damian Lillard, you think about a quality of life. You think about everything. You've been in Portland all of this time. Got a chance to play for Pat Riley and that coach. I got a chance to be coached by the great Eric Spolster. Terry Stotts was a damn good coach for years, but he wasn't great. He wasn't on the level of, of an Eric Spolster. Let's stop that nonsense, okay? You look at the players that they have, you ain't going to be able to get but so much to help them. Shaden Sharp and, and Scoot Henderson and them brothers ain't going to be able to do it with Damian Lillard. He wants to go with Bam and Jimmy Butler, find a way to make it happen. And then if you can't make it happen after you exhaust all options, then revisit the discussion. But don't sit up there and lament, oh, he's just limiting us to one team. Well, find out what the hell you can do to get him to that one team. He stayed with you for six years after everybody was saying he should have wanted out. He stayed. He didn't just sign a contract like James Harden didn't say I wanted out. This dude signed the contract with every intention to stay. And he's proven that because he's been there for the first decade of his career. Why can't it be Philly? I agree. I agree can with it, that. Can it be Minnesota? No, hell no. No, no. I Could it be so. New Orleans? Oh, well, if you went to New Orleans, first of all, you're reigniting with C.J. McCollum. Um, in all likelihood, you'd have to give up Zion. No, we so Rosella and I talked on Sunday. We okay. like I, we by the way, we're, we're still, I said hello. I haven't I seen will. him in a long time. Someone said hello. We were talking like if I'm Portland and I know I have my three guards. I want to get Jalen Brown back or Brandon Ingram or um, Towns, who I don't even really like that much, mm-hmm. or Paul George and some picks. I but want somebody Bill, that I can put with my guys. But Bill, you've been around long enough to know because all of those people are potentially available, you can always get a third team involved that'll take somebody. You can know, work but, it out where all of those parts are moving, but you still end up getting some level of equitable compensation. Here's where you it falls apart. Miami's huh? like, here's our big, here's our big chess piece for this trade. Tyler Hero, the guy who got hurt in game two of round one, and Tyler we Hero immediately went on an awesome run. We made the hit. We went yeah. on, we went on a run as soon as Tyler Hero got hurt. That's our big trade chip. Right. I just don't see it. I don't see now, how don't that's see enough either. to get Dame Lillard. But I think, I think the picks matter. Um, I think that the combination of Hero with somebody else with the picks matter. But in all likelihood, if you say it's not enough. I can't argue with that. My retort would be, well, what's been enough with Dame there for you if you bought? You used well, them to sell tickets. Because you ain't winning. I agree with you. It's going to at least have to be a three-teamer, which gets super yeah. complicated. And yeah. I, I still feel like Philly can get involved if they put Maxi on the table and they Maxi goes to Brooklyn. I wouldn't put Maxi on the table. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not giving up Maxi. Maxi's 22 years old. I'm not giving up Maxi. I'm not giving him up. Maxi can ball. And he has a tremendous future ahead of him. I am not giving him up for as great as Damian Lillard is, as much as I love him as a player. I'm not giving up Tyrese Maxey in a deal for Damian Lillard. I'm not doing it. Absolutely not. I want to see it? what Maxey can show me without Harden there with him. Well, how about this? If I had told you a year ago, the Knicks are going to sign Jalen Brunson and the Knicks yeah. fans are going to love him so much that Damian Lillard is going to be an available in a trade and the Knicks fan base is going to go, well, well Jalen's not available. Right. No, thanks. Right. What, what would the odds have been 12 months ago for that? Like 10 to 1? Higher than that. Higher than that. Uh, which is a testament to Jalen Brunson and the job that he's done. But it's making my point about Maxi. Mm. I'm not giving him up. I'm not giving up. Maxie ain't been a problem. James Harden goes there. James Harden had a stellar season, led the league in assists. Wet the bed in the game seven, game six and seven. Dropped two 40 point games in the series, but wet the bed game six and seven. And, and a lot of people thought he quit. You got him being, once again, not 100% healthy. I'm not letting go of a 22 year old stud that I believe can be a star for Damian okay. Lillard. I'm not doing it. James Harden wet the bed. They had, he needs like a special mattress. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, I got a next thing to throw at you, but I'd take one more break. 
This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drumroll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you rule. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, US only. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford, or its affiliates. All right, the Knicks. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw this out there. Sure. I was talking on my pod a couple of days ago about how we're on the clock with Giannis. I think Giannis has one year left with this Milwaukee team to see how it goes. And if they start to look old, if Chris Middleton looks the same way he's looked for the last two years where he's not he can't stay on the court. He can't look like Chris Middleton from the 2021 playoffs for long stretches. Brooke Lopez is going to be in year, I think, 16. Um, I don't really trust any of their swing guys. And if he feels like I can't win a title here anymore, I think he cares the most about titles and rings. I don't even think he really cares about markets. And I also think he'd be the kind of guy who would say, with a year left, hey, I'm going to leave in a year as a free agent because he can opt out summer 2025. I'm going to leave in a year or you can trade me now. We've seen players do this in the past where they have their respect for the team. um, And they, you know, they want to, they want to put their team in a position to make a move and put themselves in a position to win a title faster. Now we talk about the Knicks. You've been in this position before with the Knicks, where there's yes. been this big prize looming. It's like those amusement park that's rides. Why, that's why. That's why I'm sitting there going like this, Yo, Bill. We supposed to be cool, man. Why are you bringing this up? Why are you doing this to me, man? It's the amusement park ride where that thing's hanging with the claws, and you're trying you to. You know hit how it with I get claws. about the Knicks, man. Don't do I that know. to me, man. I, I mean, listen. <laughs> but I, but I'm telling you, I think this is where the season's going to head. Okay. Where all well, of a sudden the Giannis prize is going to start hanging over this Knicks season. This is what I want to understand. And, and, and you and I have talked basketball on several occasions in the past. I, w- I want you to learn something about me today, okay? Mm. Because, first of all, <clears throat> I'm a really miserable Knicks fan. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do not like how Leon Rose hides from the public and, I don't and, 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 and has no accountability whatsoever. And you making a deal with Danny Ainge and you got. Uh, Gershon Rojas on the phone speaking for you instead of yourself when you the president of basketball operations, which I thought was a disgrace. Okay? And I respect Leon Rose, but I, I, I haven't respected how he's handled himself um, in terms of being accountable to Knicks fans, even though he's obviously done a decent job because they've been in the playoffs two of the uh, four years he's been here. Having said that, let me say this. The New York Knicks, and this is what you need to know about me, one of the biggest reasons I'm miserable is because we're the media capital of the world, we're the number one market, and we can't get a start. Think about this. Our last real bona fide star 
One would face Patrick Ewan. I'm going to go back to Walt Clyde first. I would say Bernard. You're not going to say Bernard for a year and a half? Well, well, Bernard, because that's perpetually injured. You know, I know how big Tom Bernard is. I know, but but for 18 months, I thought Bernard got there. He was fantastic. You're right. You're right. Okay, Okay, fine. What I mean by that is this. I haven't had somebody arrive in New York that made me look and say, you know what, we we, we, we might win the title. We might win the title. I haven't had that guy. When Bernard was here, you had Magic and Bird and Isaiah right. and, and Jordan was coming and Barkley was coming and you know you had all of that going on. All right, when 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 Ewing was there, that's what was going on. When Carmelo was there, LeBron was in Miami, man. You know, D Wade was in Miami. You know, you, I'm looking for the guy. You always said the third guy in the movie. You always said the third guy in the movie. You never had the lead guy in the poster. Yeah. You know, I'm looking for the guy that arrives in a New York Knicks uniform that has the city saying, we we, we might win it. We might win it because of this guy. We don't have that guy, which is why I so desperately wanted KD and Kyrie to come to New York um, to, to the Knicks and they were coming at the 11th hour until Kyrie convinced KD to change his mind go to Brooklyn no, you get me that was DeAndre that. Jordan's fault you know that story He DeAndre Listen. Jordan played on that Knicks team he's like you guys can't go here this place is a mess oh my lord that's one of the things that's one of the things that was said also it was Kyrie thinking about creating his own legacy yeah, yeah. and all of that other stuff okay the bottom line is could you imagine if Kevin Durant was in New York and I'm talking about when Kevin Durant had that 49-point game that I predicted he dropped 50 after Kyrie yeah. got hurt and he went against Milwaukee in game yeah. five and he dropped 49 but missed 50 because he missed a free throw when I predicted that morning on first take he was going to drop 50 or the KD that showed up in game seven and stuff like that and it just couldn't happen. I mean, when's the last time the Garden had that? And And that's what I'm looking for, man. This is New York and the stars are everywhere but New York. And that's what bothered me. Jalen Brunson's a sensational play. He did a sensational job for us this year. But we all know that, you know, he's not box office himself. He can really ball. But he's not But He's not the marquee. I want a marquee, man. I want a marquee bad with champion, with legitimate championship aspirations is what I'm talking about. So you're in this situation that I think is going to happen with Giannis, if especially let's say they start out 12 I'd and eight or whatever, um, and everybody's going to start talking about it. You've been in this situation, LeBron, 2010, yeah, um, KD, that whole summer before yeah. 2016. Who who else? Who else has been dangled? Like the uh, like like no, the it, was, it, was, it was it was Those it two? was it was really it was really them. Those are the two biggest examples, no doubt. Um, because 2010 tell you, was devastating because that was like basically two years of hoping, praying this free agent class, and then well, you know, with Amari Stoudemire. Imagine how it was for me. I was fired by ESPN. I was gone by this time. I started back in the business, starting for Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, and I broke the story that they were going to South Beach. They were joining forces. I remember, and I Beach, made right? fun of it, and I was like, "There's no fucking way. They're not. Yes. That's not happening." And then it happened. And, and it happened, right? And so I'm sitting there and like, but in the same breath, I'm sad because even though I'm breaking the story, that means he ain't coming to New York. <laughs> Yet another right. guy ain't coming to New York. We have one draft pick away, one pick from getting Steph Curry. And he lands at numbers at number seven and going to state. The Knicks had the eighth pick. Okay. We, the Zion thing, it's either Zion or John Moran. We get the number three pick. We get RJ I mean, it's like, it's, hey, it's man, like that might be the best pick out of those three. Who knows? You might have gotten the best guy. It's, a, it's very depressing. <laughs> it's very depressing. It just drives me nuts, man. But, you know, I, I mean, it's hard for me to, to remain objective about my Knicks because I love the franchise so much. I'm a diehard, lifelong Knicks fan, but they make me sick because I have yet to receive any joy from them at all. Well, at least they have assets now to make a move, yes. which That's has true. been not been the case for... A long time. Yeah, but how do you think I feel when you had those assets and you could have utilized them to get Donovan Mitchell and you didn't get them? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I think oh, Danny Andrews asking for too much. Well, maybe if you hadn't gone to the playoff series between Utah and Dallas and recruiting, acting like you still at you you at Kentucky or something, maybe that you wouldn't have irritated Danny Andrews. He could have done a deal with you to <laughs> get Donovan Mitchell for right. crying out loud. 
this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about, Bill. And you have the Embiid possibilities too. If that's it, if they make no trades, Harden comes back, he's miserable, Embiid's miserable. That's yeah. always sitting there too. I don't know about that. I don't know about. I don't think Embiid will leave Philadelphia. I think they'll do everything they can to keep him. They'll clean house. They'll do what they have to do. And Darren Moore, had better do something. There's no question about that. They better figure it out. Well, you know, it was the biggest Knicks win of the last ten years. The the idiotic Brooklyn is going to replace the Knicks and watch Brooklyn. They're going to build this whole basketball thing. And I listen, I, I, I've never lived in New York in my life. And I was like, that's yeah. never happening. The never. Knicks have like six generations of fans. Exactly. Brooklyn's just going to waltz in and become the new basketball capital. Idiotic. What the fuck are you guys talking about? Kyrie so at least Irvin, that's been vindicated. Kyrie Irvin and Kevin Durant easily cost themselves about a half a billion dollars by choosing Ooh. Brooklyn over the New York Mets. I'm talking about off-court opportunities. Off-court opportunities. Easily cost themselves a half a billion dollars. Easy. I would love to do KD's career over again. Yeah. With uh, like a, almost like a virtual reality where you could just be like, all right, just make these two different decisions. And let's yeah. just see how it goes. Because I don't know. I really, I, to me, he's like, well, I have him 16th or 15th in my pantheon. Um, I thought he went toe to toe with LeBron when LeBron was still at his absolute prime and mm -hmm. outplayed him in those two finals. His team was yeah. better, but LeBron's yeah. been in situations where he had better teams in finals. Um, and I, and now I actually feel like he's like slightly underrated. Now he's in this Phoenix thing. Um, he's at a different point of his career. He's as old as, you know, he's in the same draft as Jeff Green. Mm -hmm. He's going to be in your you're 15, yeah. 16. He's not going to be the same guy he was in 2016 and 19 and these different years. So I don't know. I don't I don't know if he missed the window. He might have. Um, I think Katie's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. Um, Me too. And, and and I gotta revisit your list at some point because I'm not sure I have him. I don't believe I have him that low. I think I got him top 10 all the time. I don't think it's 10 offensive players in the history of the game that have been better than KD. That's a discussion I'd like to have with you another time. But I will say this to you. It's hard to figure out which was, I'm not going to say worse, it, because from a basketball perspective, clearly him departed from Oklahoma City, even though he did after they lost the 3-1 lead to Golden State, and then you go and join the team that knocked you off. At the time, I called it the weakest move I've ever seen by a superstar, and I've never deviated from that. The only modification that I threw in, and I told him to his face when I was sitting on his show, the boardroom, was when people tried to use that to 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 sustain him and act like he she couldn't play. And I'm like, wait a minute, this yeah. is one of the greatest plays. And I had to explain to him, I, my disgust was because your greatness, collaborating with the greatness of the Splash Brothers, eviscerated competition for that season. To me, it was the one season it made no sense to watch basketball. It was like, why? Why even bother? There's no competition here. We saw LeBron James give a concession speech in Boston in Game 7 after they they, mm. they they beat Boston because he had to go up against KD. Oh, I don't want to think about that right now. It's just too stressful. That was a damn concession speech. So I think about things along those lines. And what I would say to you is that I think ultimately what will, unless he wins another championship, what will hurt him most is departing Steph Curry to join Kyrie I agree. Because that's not about basketball. That's about failing to take into account all the ancillary things. That's that a, that's a basketball IQ test. But that's exactly, exactly you can either contribute or take away from the level of success you hope to accumulate. I think a grave mistake was made by him in that regard because you talked about wanting to play the right way. And then you ended up going to Brooklyn which basically diluted the argument that you were trying to make in favor of you making the original decision you made about going to state to begin with. I wish he had just gone to Washington in 2016 and played with Beal and Wall. No. He'd done that for three years no. over like going to Golden State. Right. If I had to do that part over again. And then the other part is just stay with Golden State through 2020. And when, you, when you're moving somewhere else, do do a better thing than teaming up with Kyrie Irving. I would say to you, that's hindsight. And you're right. What I would say to you is that, you know, or rather it wasn't hindsight, but in hindsight, looking at Steve Kerr, I, I don't know about you. I think Steve Kerr is one of the top five coaches in the history of basketball. Me too. I think he's proven he's one of the top five coaches. And the coaching and the culture 
that exist in Golden State, led by its leader, Steph Curry, I don't think you can minimize that in any way. And there was no way that that was going to happen in the nation's capital with Bradley Beal and John Wall. Fair. We no have way. to go. We got to right. mention your uh, your podcast, which you changed the name. Yep. I would have, if we'd worked together, I would have told you, put your name in the podcast title. You finally did. It's called The Stephen A. Smith Show. Easier right. for searches. Right. Um, well, I wasn't allowed, I mean, in, in negotiating with ESPN and carving out uh, what I was Oh, they made you do out. a title? Init- yeah. Initially, Man, they, they, I had to do a title. Classic. Um, uh, but, but, oh, but, but in fairness to them, they, you came got back, it they, revis- they came back, they revisited, they let me change it to my name and stuff like that. Um, because, I mean, I own and operate it. They have nothing to do with it, but I had a contract with them that I had to carve yeah. out the ability to be able to do those things. And so I was waiting to do those things. If you notice, I didn't go on YouTube until January and I really didn't amp it up until three months ago. Now I'm up to about 230,000 subscribers. But it happened because there was th- that, that minefield I had to work through to get all of that stuff done. But I'm happy. I'm good. Uh, the podcast is going very well. It, it, it's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm live on YouTube at 4 p.m. I just started doing that Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, in the near future, I'm probably going to go to five days a week for crying out loud. I love doing it and I love not limiting myself to sports. I can talk about sports anytime I want to, but it's not as a podcast that's restricted to sports. I talk about pop culture and entertainment. I talk about politics, even to, you know, even on, on Tuesday, I was interviewing governor, uh, governor, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie. I'm going to interview other presidential candidates and stuff like that, other politicians. You get um, involved I, in the election. Okay. Yeah, I love that. I love that stuff. So, I mean, I'm not an aficionado by any stretch, but I love talking to people about it and I love talking to people in the game so I can bring questions from laymen's out here who are looking at them and saying, what the hell are y'all doing on, in the nation's capital? I it love doesn't, doing that It doesn't sound like you're slowing down. I'm not. I have no intentions to, but I just, <laughs> I do have to pace myself. And that means going to sleep a little bit early and not being in the office until midnight. Yeah, fair enough. All right, good to see you, Stephen A. I'm glad you're doing well. Enjoy the rest of the uh, summer. Let me know if you need Same to you. Make it All happen. Right. And I, I know I owe you dinner, so we'll make that happen yeah. soon. All right. I'll talk to you. All right. Later. Thank you. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Stephen A. Smith and thanks to Kyle Creighton and Steve Cerruti. As always, I'm going to be back on Thursday with my last podcast of July unless anything absolutely crazy happens. So I will see you then. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.